Welcome everybody to the Spawn of Me podcast. I am your host, Khalif Adams. This is episode 162 of our show, and I am joined this week and every week with my man, my mellow, the smooth kind of fellow, the champion of C2E2, Cicero Holmes. How are you, sir? I am doing comic fantastic. Um, I am cosplaying today as a business person. Um, <laughs> I'm drinking uh, some bourbon because, well... I'm cosplaying as myself then, damn it. Oh, yeah. You're Captain Captain Drink-A-Lot yeah. of bourbon. <laughs> I have to add of bourbon because if I don't add the of bourbon, then someone will come to your house and be like, hey. Yeah, you know, right. Exactly. Is that like his house? Oh, like, so. Like, like uh, of of house bourbon? House. house. Uh, yeah, so that's my house. House <laughs> bourbon. Um, yeah, that's my crest. My crest is like, uh, it's just a dude with X's in his eyes <laughs> with, a, with a giant jug. Um, so, <laughs> so I was in, so I was in, uh, Miami last weekend with, uh, with my cousins, shout out to my cousins, um, and shout out to South beach. Cause y- y'all are dope. Sorry, Danny. I wasn't there long enough to come and chill with you. Um, but anyway, uh, we were on South beach and there was a liquor store called I heart liquor. And <laughs> I, was like, I was like, wait a minute. That sounds not like a store, but a cry for help. Like as soon as as soon as you walk through the door, it's an it's an intervention. You like just walk in. Mm. This is how you make me feel. The bell says liquor. Right, right. <laughs> I do. I do. I can't front. I do want your family tartan to just be like a whole bunch of Crown Royal bags stitched together. Oh, word, word. Oh, shout out to my man who's a huge uh, Crown Royal fan. And he literally does have all the Crown Royal, like velvet. He's got all the flavors. <laughs> God, like, I don't yo, even know what to do with yo, that. Yo, every time I just I walk into his man cave, and I just have to put my fist up, man. I mean, <laughs> just, his his blackness level is on at nine thousand. Nine thousand. <laughs> I can't front. That is the the blackest thing I've heard in a long time. Oh, God. My other man, my mellow, the smooth kind of fellow, the man who makes science look good, who makes STEM look good, who makes gaming look good. It is Sharif Jackson of SharifJackson.com. How are you, sir? What's up, y'all? No good Crown Royal stories, but I am here. uh, And I am sober, unlike uh, one Cicero Holmes. How you guys doing? (laughs) Good, good, good. How, how are you feeling? I know, I know that you had a a accident of sorts. You, 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 you had you messed around with fate and fate won. Yeah, yeah, man. I, I you know, I was, I, I, I was in New Jersey and in, in New York for an event, and um, I was just late for my flight, um, and I was running to catch the car with my backpack and luggage. And I like slipped, literally levitated for maybe a couple of seconds. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, my hang time was nice. Um, and then I just fell like directly on my arm, basically. Um, so I sprained it pretty bad. I was I was I, I had in a sling for a little bit. Um, but it's it's one of those things where, like, first of all, I'm really lucky because I honestly could have broken it like the way I fell because it was on stairs, too. So, like, it could have been oh. much worse. But the other thing about dealing with these kind of injuries, especially with your arms, is that you forget, like, you know, it's there, but but, but your muscle memory, you're just reaching for things. So so the whole week I've just been screaming in the middle of, like, just doing normal things. So, like, I'll reach for the fridge door with the wrong 
arm because I'm like, yo, I'm I'm right handed and this was like my right arm. So I'm like just like walking around like, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of weird. Like I almost have to strap it down or like keep it in a sling or something. But, you know, it's been getting better every day. Good. Um, so, hey, this is this is just part of part of the march to 40. Just, oh, my God. Just oh dealing my with this kind of stuff. So, well, so. I. I well, I would say if you could, as a favor to me and to everyone else in Chicago, just record every time you try to grab a glass of juice. <laughs> <laughs> we can use that for like promotion and for you know for for samples and for drops. We could do all that stuff. It's, it's real dope. Yeah, but yeah. you know, everyone, like every, everyone, give Reef some love out in the world, and, and hopefully right. things will will heal up quickly. Um, you know, one of the cool things about our show is that. We've been doing some kind of one-offs, and those have been really great. And yeah. last week's episode, I, when I said this on, on online the other day, I, w- I did not front. There was no, no, no nonsense behind that. It was literally one of the best shows, I think, in the almost four years that we've been doing this show that I have been able to listen to. And the man behind that was Cicero Holmes. Cicero Holmes claps, claps, claps for that man. Uh, please clap. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, man. It was it was literally one of the dopest shows that we've gotten. Just the, the breadth of information with some of the most well-known folks in the gaming industry that you busted ass and snagged was super dope to, to, to listen to. And, you know, kudos to you, man. Mad love on that. That was a great show. Talk talk a little bit about that real quick before we jump into this one. Sure. I mean, it, it thank I mean, thank you for that. It was uh it was really awesome. I was really excited to be able to do it and I want to thank Repop uh for, you know, really going after uh talented folks uh this year. I mean, you know, they do it every year, but but they're they're really making uh C2E2 um like the third destination in Comic-Cons uh annually. Uh, so I really appreciate that. And and everyone I got to speak to was just genuinely gracious. And I'm so, so thankful for their time and, and just how beautifully wonderful they were. Uh, so um, and and the uh, response from from Chicago has been really dope as well. And um, I want to thank everybody for uh, for for sticking with us. And, you know, I'm glad it resonated with people. So um, it was it was a great experience. Yeah, yeah, and and like props, props to you for just being so engaging with your six row ways, um, because I mean, like, you gotta imagine like these people that you talk to, like DMC and like Jennifer Hale and and like and like Dave Fenoy, they've been talking to people nonstop. Yeah, during this whole thing, so so like I think that like you're. Your like energy and your passion and and like all that stuff. I think it, I think it really sparked the conversation and made them excited, and in turn it made me as a listener excited. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was, it was it was just great all around. It was an excellent listen. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So yeah, peek behind the curtain. Uh, usually, uh, when when Cod does the show, we have it in advance, so we get to listen to it before it comes out. Well, I produced this show, um, the C2E2 show. So I had all the interviews. I had all the stuff. I, you know, obviously I, you know, I did all the talking. Um, but I was also gone in Miami over the weekend. So I didn't get a chance to edit until late. And these guys didn't get to hear it until it was live. So one of the great, great experiences of it was the fact that I knew that David Hayter had shouted out Khalif as Solid Snake in in the interview and and Ka didn't hear it until he actually downloaded the show 
and got to listen to it. <laughs> so and, I, and, and and just his reaction to it was so amazing. It was worth everything. That made it. Yeah, I, I bugged out. I was in the office and I listened to it. I was like, yo. And the people looked at me like, you okay? I was like, no. I was like, I'm fine. I was like, I'm fine. I said, David Hayter, a.k.a. Solid Snake, just said my name in Snake's voice. I, I have <laughs> died and gone to heaven. I am extremely happy with this. And yeah. I'm like... I have to I have to figure out a way to get C like a really big bottle of liquor for that. Right. <laughs> somehow somehow we will make that happen. Right. But on, but right but on. again, kudos to you, man. You know, again, we try to put out really dope content every time That's we put out a show. Ever. And we want to make sure that everybody in Chicago is getting something that they may not be getting in other places. And again, we the, the conversations ran the gamut between, you know, mental health from DMC, you know, Jennifer Hale talking about VO work and and, and, and activism and the strike yep. right. and, yeah. and the sag after a uh, strike and all that stuff Dave Fenoy talking about how great it was to to, to, to be uh, the holler in Mafia 3 and there were so many other great tidbits in there and that that, that black that black story black op story <laughs> that Dave Hader told yeah. was right. amazing so again you know everyone listen to that show and also listen to this show because oh, yeah. this episode we have a very special guest um, from a game that you are definitely going to be hearing lots about in the upcoming months, I'm sure in the game of the year discussion and in all the other talks about, you know, game of the year, uh, best narrative uh, and a lot of other categories. I want to bring to you, Ricardo, Ian Dallas, creative director from Giant Sparrow on What Remains of Edith Finch. Ian, thank you so much for coming by and hanging out with us in Ricardo this week. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. De- definitely, definitely, definitely. So I, we have lots of questions for you. Uh, lots, lots and lots of 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 things that we want to yeah. poke at about this game and, and talk about uh, with you. First, I want to kind of get into a little bit of your background and, and talk about, you know, where you came from in the development cycle of the game and just game development, period. If you could share some of that with the folks at home, that would be amazing. Sure. Uh, yeah. So my background was initially in comedy writing and, you know, I always figured like I would eventually as a writer go into games and I realized at some point that, uh, like being a writer for games is not a very interesting job to me. Uh, like you're kind of called in after a lot of the decisions have made and you're just kind of like putting lipstick on a pig. Like you're not really you know, <laughs> there in the, in the depths of it. So I, uh, I went back to grad school and, uh, for game design at USC and I made this prototype uh, for a game that uh, ultimately became The Unfinished Swan. And mm-hmm. uh, Sony saw it when I was uh, presenting this, you know, little, like, very academic, you know, tiny prototype. And, uh, you know, we signed a publishing deal, basically. And then for the next three years or so, we were working on that. That was a PlayStation exclusive that came out uh, in 2012. It's a first-person painting game. And you uh, start in, like, a totally white world, and you're sort of splattering yeah, the world yeah, with paintballs. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's a pretty unusual thing. It, yeah, um, yeah. And, it, you know, that game's sort of about awe and wonder. And for our next game, What Remains of Edith Finch, which we've been working on for the last four and a half years, uh, you know, that game is also, you know, kind of uh, about similar things. Uh, it's about the unknown and, you know, the, giving players a chance to explore something that they've never encountered before. Uh, but this game, you know, obviously it's it's a bit different. Uh, we can we can talk about that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I came into it at the very beginning, and uh, here I am at the very end of it. Wow. Well, nice. oh, uh, so I'll I'll say this much, uh, Ian. You're you're a comedy writer, Edith Finch. 
one of the funniest games I've ever played. <laughs> oh, thank you. I, I don't know how to take that. I assume you're joking. I, right. But, uh, I go, yeah. I go forward. <laughs> nice. So, uh, yeah, obviously not um, for those for those of you who haven't played the game. It, it, it reminds me, and, and it doesn't, but there are going to be comparisons, um, obviously, between this game and Gone Home. Um, and, and part of the reason is this, this game is, is one of those games that, uh, is an experience and, and is less about, it is interactive, but it's less about getting the high score or not dying or getting combos as it is about understanding the story and, and really, um, becoming becoming one with the characters that that you wind up playing um whose whose idea was it to actually uh it's mine i mean it was based loosely on my own childhood uh so growing up in washington state and you know the feelings that i had of you know like what what i sort of remembered strongest about being a kid uh, a lot of that kind of found its way into the game right yeah so so um i really wanted to start off with a quote that you posted to the PlayStation blog, which I read before I played the game. Mm-hmm. And when I read it, I was like, oh, you know, it's just some marketing stuff. Like everybody. <laughs> right. And when I finished the game, I was like, nah, that was real. <laughs> so like, so like uh, you posted, instead of a game about all, we made a game about the experience of all. Rather than trying to evoke all directly, we made a collection of stories about people being, people being overwhelmed and, and and I gave players a chance to see the world through their eyes. Yeah. Okay. So I I, I think that's just such a great um, explanation of sort of how I felt after I finished the game. Oh, great! So it worked. Now, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now it doesn't now, always, but it worked for you. Yeah. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now is that idea about all something sort of four years ago, back in the conceptual phase? was that something that kind of remained consistent or like, was that something that kind of maybe you started kind of one way and then as you were getting into the game, it kind of evolved into this experience of all. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it it definitely was there from the very beginning. And I think, you know, because we're making these things that we don't ourselves totally understand, you know, like we're trying to make games that we've never seen before. Uh, You know, we try to start from a place that is really concrete in some sense, you know, like it's not, uh, something you can point to necessarily other than to say that like, you know, this game, it was about the experience of the sublime. Like that's what we were going for was something that feels simultaneously beautiful and overwhelming. So we kind of knew where we were trying to get to, but we had no idea what, you know, that path was going to look like. And in the very beginning, you know, like it was, again, this is all kind of based on my childhood growing up in Washington state and the things that, you know, like I felt like the memories that were the most sublime uh, for me, one of those was scuba diving Hmm. And being at the bottom of the ocean and looking at the way that the ground kind of slopes away into, you know, the seemingly infinite darkness and the way that that's like really aesthetically, uh, you know, incredible, but also makes you feel really small and fragile and at the same time connected to the universe in a very strange way. Uh, So, you know, this game started off as a scuba diving simulator and, (laughs) you know, then, then really went off the rails. (laughs) <laughs> it's so interesting to hear that being the kind of conceptual <laughs> start of where this game is to see where it's ended now it's it's also interesting to to, to hear because i i once i played once i started to play the game i was like oh 
because I hadn't really um, heard about your background until now. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, now that I'm hearing that, it, that you grew up in the Pacific Northwest, I'm in the Pacific Northwest now. And I'm like, oh, wow, I totally get the <laughs> the little bits and pieces of where you're kind of pulling, you know, um, um, the scenery from and and kind of the, the vibe of this part of the country. Do you feel like there do you feel like if there was a way to have set this in another part of the country <laughs> that it wouldn't have given that game the same kind of kind of flair and ambiance that that game that Edith Finch has currently? Do you feel like putting it somewhere else, not just because of the memories that you had, but just because mm-hmm. of the actual setting would have changed the, a lot of that too? Yeah, no, it's an interesting question. I, you know, I, it's hard for me to imagine what it would be like, you know, like in, what was it, South Beach, Miami? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, or somewhere like that. Like, you could do a version of this game, you know, where you're going into, you know, an iHeart liquor store. Yeah. Um, I can't really imagine that game. I think, you know, part of what we are trying to do this with this game, you know, is is trying to find a balance of, uh, you know, these sublime moments, but also uh, intimate moments. Because mm. I think, you know, the kind of surreal stuff that I really like, you know, like things like uh, Bunuel or Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy mm. um, or even like Monty Python, you know, there's this element of like very mundane, familiar stuff that helps to balance out the like crazier, you know, fever dream stuff in there. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was a lot easier to base that on something that I was super familiar with, uh, you know, like the Pacific Northwest and like this time period. And so it would have been really hard for me to invent all of those details. Uh, but I, yeah, and I think the um, Pacific Northwest setting also fits really nicely with the game that's so much about nature mm-hmm. because right. there's so much rain you know, mm-hmm. in Washington State <laughs> yes. oh my God. that you just can't help having giant trees and greenery everywhere. Right. There's this like profusion of life that you know you don't find in you know like Los Angeles or somewhere where there's just like not enough water and not enough kind of biological force for it. So I think it it works really well and there's also this um you know kind of atmospheric quality that uh you know you get from something like twin peaks for example that there's you know this association that people already have that helps us to uh to tell this story well uh, so you you talked about how this is uh some of your memories and 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 what you know what remains of edith finch is i guess am i right to assume that it's quasi uh autobiographical or quasi biographical yeah, I mean, very loosely. It's things sure. like, you know, what I remember about what it felt like to fly a kite, you know, on the beach, you know, in okay. front of the ocean, that kind of thing. Like, it's not like the characters necessarily, like specific people from my life. Uh, it's okay. a more kind of okay. abstract, what does it feel like to be a child, you know, kind sure. of. Sure, sure. Oh, okay. All right. Well, and, and you just happened to mention uh, one of my favorite moments, um, one of my favorite vignettes uh, from the game. And, and you know, I'll kind of... I, I don't want to spoil the game, and I think that as a rule, we can kind of discuss this right now and just kind of say that wow. we, you know, we're going to try and, and remain as spoiler-free as we possibly can because I want people to experience this game because it is, it is a very, very moving experience um, worthy of being played. Um, but my, one of my favorite moments was what I liked, to, what I called it, uh, the Kaitamari experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
So, you know, you guys can you can use that back in the the studio. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it was it was just everything about the game was exactly that. It was, uh, you know, things that were grounded in reality uh, turned up just a little, you know, turned on their on their head just a little uh, so that it became fantastic. And um I don't, you know, I like I, I just finished playing the game right before we started recording. So the game is really fresh in me. And, and you know, I, and I'm moved by it. It really is. Um, this is like, a, a, it's really an amazing game. Um, you guys should be proud. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. I don't thank even you. have a question. <laughs> <laughs> your, shit, your shit is pretty fucking cool. Uh, awesome. Um, so I do have a question. Um, so one thing I really appreciate about the game, um, is the way that you lead people to where the next encounter is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's always, I feel like in games, this balance to where you don't want to like dumb it down so that the person just feels like, oh, they're not even giving me a chance to figure it out. Yeah. But you, but you also don't, well, 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 some games do make it super obscure (laughs) on purpose. But, like, for the most part, like, you don't want to make it too obscure. So, like, was that something that you guys kind of wrestled with in the game-making process, whether to make it more obscure or, like, to make it easier? How did you settle on that nice kind of, like, in-the-middle point that's in the game? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a constant struggle uh, in a lot of ways to make this game because we didn't have a good sense of what the balance should be with all of the pieces. Uh, and it wasn't something that we really could get a sense of until a lot of the game was there and we could have people play test it. But I guess like the short answer is we just did a ton of play testing and we made a lot of mistakes and then we just made the game better. And then we watched it's like, okay, now people are confused about this part and then we'll make that part better. Uh, but trying to find the balance, particularly between the amount of time that you spend as Edith, you know, like as you're walking around these rooms mm-hmm. and then the amount of time you spend in these stories and what you can kind of expect players to like how much energy do they have like we talked about it internally as like the cognitive load for the player Mm. and Mm. it's a really hard thing to guess at and as game designers our inclination is always to you know give the player more things to do to make the world more interactive to add you know like more resources and challenge and it just seems like on paper you know like what you'll need to keep players interested And in fact, one of the things that we found is that often in this game, after the players finished with the story, like if the story actually connected with them, they're still thinking about that story for the next couple of minutes. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to have a room that's not a challenge to get through and they don't need to like immediately be confronted with something else to think about. They actually have, they're, they're set, you know, for a while. So we ended up having to strip away, uh, you know, a lot of things. I think initially we felt like, uh, maybe these bedrooms in the house. Uh, so I don't know if, if people know anything about the game, but, um, just to, to sort of recap for people that don't know anything about what reigns of Edith Finch, the premise is that you're coming back to this house you grew up in and you're exploring it. And in each of the bedrooms, you find a story about how uh, that family member died. So everyone in your family is dead at this point. Uh, And each of the stories is like, you know, uh, that bedroom for the person who died has a story. Uh, And the stories are kind of played out as their own little pocket universes with unique gameplay. Uh, So 
you know, at first we thought, well, these bedrooms would be like puzzles. You know, you walk into the bedroom and you'll need to like, you know, open this drawer and like move that dresser or whatever. And mm-hmm. like we wanted to encourage players to spend some time in each of the bedrooms so that it wasn't just like story after story after story. Like there's a little downtime. Uh, and instead of what we found is that it just worked a lot better to make an interesting space and encourage players to look around, but not actually force them to do that. So mm. we made the stories, which are kind of ostensibly your goal in each of the bedrooms, pretty easy to find uh, because it, I mean, it's kind of similar to what happened on The Unfinished Swan. Uh, you know, when you can tell players what the goal is and you get players to stop worrying about what they have to do to move forward, then people can actually like take a breath, you know, and just like, chill out and soak it in. And it's really counterintuitive. Like we make games about exploration and it seems like you would want to make a world that was, you know, kind of difficult to get through to encourage players to really explore it. But instead what happens is, you know, players are by this point, you know, so trained to be goal oriented Mm. that it's hard for them to relax. Mm -hmm. But if you can say, Hey, you know, that, you know, like in the, in the Unfinished Swan, you know, there'd be like a you know, mostly white world, but there's like a swan footprint 50 feet away that you can see. And it's like, once you know that's where you're meant to be going, mm-hmm. then players actually feel encouraged to explore and go off the beaten path once they know what the real path is, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. But it, uh, yeah, it's kind of a similar process here where we just tried things out and then play tested it and realized like, oh, we could make these things a lot simpler than we needed to. Um, but in terms of making spaces that people could actually get through, uh, yeah, that was just like a heartbreaking challenge. Um, every room was, uh, was confusing to someone. You know, we'd have playtesters <laughs> that just like, you know, you turn a chair 45 degrees and suddenly like most players then go the other way. And it's all these like very subconscious little nudges or like, if you open a window and then the light's a little bit different and then they're attracted to this thing instead of that thing. Uh, but it's a big part of what ultimately I think makes the game work mm-hmm. is like we talked about it as, you know, the game should feel like you're falling down a rabbit hole. Like it's just this kind of frictionless movement from one crazy thing to the next crazy thing. And, you know, as soon as as a player you get frustrated then you drop back into this kind of goal-oriented behavior mm. where it's mm. like, okay, it's a game. What do I have to do next? You know, like I just like, let me put my you know, player hat on and you stop being kind of entranced. And yeah, it's like a very brittle kind of enchantment that you can get players into it, but it's, re- like, it's hard to get people into it and it's really easy to drop them out of it. One of the, one of the things I think that you all got well was when you kind of bridged the gaps between the stories and everything kind of flowed into each other, I never felt like there was a moment where, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, I wouldn't say the game is super heavy emotionally in the sense that I didn't feel once I was done depressed by, (laughs) by the death because there was a lot of death in the game, but it wasn't, it wasn't a morbid tale. It didn't feel like the, 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 the deaths in the game were oppressive or, you know, you got, your crew didn't go for the, the gore factor. It was, it was very interesting to feel the, the, the way that death played in that game as so natural. Mm -hmm. And that was such a really interesting 
and awesome feeling to be able to kind of go through that game. I was telling um, C and Reef before we started that, you know, I finished the game and I sat with it and I, I made I made a snot bubble cry a little bit. Um, <laughs> but it felt like um, the the what um, uh, what was the movie I talked about? Reef, uh, C. What 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 dreams may what come. dreams may come? Mm. Yes. It felt, I think mm-hmm. that was it. Yeah, that was it. It, fe- it felt like that to me once I sat with that game. And, I, and, I, and that movie is one of my favorite movies because of the way that it deals with the con- concepts and, uh, of death and, and loss and, and, and remorse and, and all those things. How did you all figure out how to balance out um, a very tricky emotion with uh, pushing a characters along and p- pushing the player along um, through that emotion and different levels and versions of that feeling. Yeah, I mean, I think a similar process. Uh, we just sort of tried stuff out. You know, we just made a bunch of prototypes and we found things that kind of bubbled up and that felt like this game, you know, had a chance to do really well. So one of the things that we learned early on uh, that, you know, I think of now is like the kind of definitive Finchian moment is you know the point where uh, you know what's about to happen mm-hmm. and you know that there's nothing you can do to prevent it and right. yet you as a player really want to see what's going to happen yeah. and there's like this element of like a joyful march towards your own destruction yes and yes. doom yes. yeah that is yes. very unusual but this game because you know you know what's going to happen we're able to you know in some ways like it relieves a lot of the pressure you know, I think in most games you spend a lot of, uh, you know, kind of brain space worrying about not dying. And because here that's just like completely removed, you're able to actually relax. Mm-hmm. And yet right. you know that you're about to die. Uh, and I thought it was like a very interesting moment that we had a chance to do well. And so, you know, once we kind of figured that out as, oh, this is going to be like probably one of the most like the strongest emotional moments we can have in any of these stories. We really accentuated that. Uh, and I think that takes the edge off of a lot of it, where normally death in a game or, or death in life, you know, is kind of seen as a failure mm. uh, or this like thing to be avoided. But there's no stigma about it in this game. It's just like a kind of almost banal inevitability. You know, yeah. it's like there's there's going to be a death in this game in the same way that there's going to be credit to the end of the movie. Yeah. Like nobody right. freak out about it. Yeah. We know it's coming. <laughs> Um, and then the other thing that you know really helped, I think, in terms of uh, zeroing in on on the way that we handled death was realizing that players already brought so much of their own darkness to this game that mm. we didn't have mm. to make anything feel significant or serious or weighty. Like we usually are kind of paddling in the opposite direction, where we're trying mm-hmm. to make things feel a little bit lighter, like balancing against what players are bringing to it. Uh, mm-hmm, so, you know, mm-hmm. it ends up feeling like, you know, I mean, there's definitely like a serious tone to parts of the game, but mostly that comes from the players themselves. Like the game takes a fairly neutral position to it. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, before before Reef jumps in, it made me think of, um, when my grandmother passed away, my grandma, my mm. grandma raised me and she, you know, she raised me from God since I was born. Um, and when she passed away, um, I remember getting that phone call and going to the house and seeing her kind of she was gone and she was in the house. And 
the same kind of feeling that I got at the end of this game or actually through Mm. every uh, end of a vignette of feeling like that person was liberated in some way. Yeah. Was the same way that I felt like when my grandma passed. And that is a very, it's a very interesting feeling to get from a game. And it feels like, again, like, the crew you all nailed that and it's so difficult to do that in a real way that feels like someone understands you through 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 the medium and through the game so again like you guys nailed that i don't know how you did it, but it was a very human experience in that way and, and it was it was awesome it was really good oh thank you yeah, yeah i mean i think we we tried to make it feel like each of these stories is a victory like mm. partly because you know, we're in some ways forcing players, well, we are forcing players to die, you know, and it's very easy <laughs> right. to read that as failure. Uh, so each of the stories is kind of told from the perspective, uh, you know, someone like a Finch family member who really, really wants something and they get it. You know, it's just like huh. it comes with some repercussions that they may not have necessarily wanted, but, you know, at least there's an element of victory in there. So, I, you know, I don't think in any of these stories is death really like, you know, just a defeat. It's it's part of something, you know, that they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to to a backup cop about kind of having that personal connection. Um, after I finished the game, I basically had a 30 minute conversation um, with um, at Amoebic on a Twitter, who's Amanda on the Gamers with Jobs conference call podcast. And we were talking about our reactions hmm. to this game. And one of mine really was that, um, you know, it really made me think about something that I constantly think about, which is being a parent. Mm-hmm. Because I don't have any kids. Um, most of my friends do have kids. I, I kind of deal with the whole, you know, living in my mid thirties and most of my friends are kind of have kids and can't relate to them in that aspect. Yeah. Boohoo. Um, you have time to play games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. Um, but, but there's a lot of, of sections in this game that involve parents and kids and their relationship with some of the, you know, and there's some great points and there's some tragedies that are involved around, you know, parents and, you know, in like sort of like the, hecticness and the like the busyness of being a parent and how mm-hmm. that can affect a kid so it really made me think about that and i was talking about this with with not only amoebic but like several people really um so i'm like really wondering as as you were getting the the uh feedback in the game during the the uh development process were you like just looking at sort of like more the mechanic stuff that you mentioned earlier, like if people were like getting lost and like that kind of stuff, or were you also actually looking at how people reacted to the stories and then revising the actual um, stories around the family members um, in, in that way? Yeah. I mean, we definitely were looking pretty closely at both of those things and, you know, kind of depends on the phase of production. So, early on when we're just wondering like is this story going to make sense to people like does this mechanic you know have enough sort of heft to be worth exploring you know a lot of it is very simple like it's all kind of what we call gray boxes where you know like everything nothing has a texture on it it's just like very simple block out crude art uh and there you know it's it's hard to get an emotional read and that's you know one of the tricky things about game development is it's hard to 
figure out if this thing works until it's too late to change it, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Right. Uh, yeah. So, you know, early on, it's a lot of mechanic stuff. Uh, but then, you know, with a number of these stories, even when they were at that stage, you know, we were getting feedback from people that, you know, this made them maybe a little bit uncomfortable. You know, and I think Gregory's story, uh, you know, is a good example yes. of that where, you know, we had uh, one of our design liaisons at Sony who was kind of advising us through the whole process. Like, he was really concerned about that story early yeah, on. Right. Uh, you know, he had a pretty young child himself. Uh, you know, I think he just had a second baby around that time. And, you know, so we had some pretty, you know, long conversations about how do we treat this sensitively and, you know, how's this going to work? And, uh, and we, we did find that when we had people play test, uh, the, the ones, the players who had children themselves, especially young children, reacted very differently. Like they were much more sensitive. I think people that uh, didn't have kids treated it a little bit more lightheartedly. And I mean, were interested in it, but they weren't as like emotionally raw. Mm. So, you know, that was something that we were aware of pretty early on, uh, but it's also really hard to test these things in isolation. So, right. you know, the experience of playing a five minute prototype, uh, you know, just doing one of these stories versus what it's like to kind of sit with Edith and hear her, you know, talk about these things and play a couple of these stories in a row is this, you know, completely different. Like Gregory's story is a great example when if you give somebody a controller and they, you know, are like a baby in a bathtub, they don't really think about it. But right. if they've played through a bunch of these stories and they know, oh, everyone in these stories dies, you know, it's right. already tense for them, uh, you know, when right. they start that story. So, yeah, I mean, I guess to answer your question, you know, we, we focused a lot on how people were feeling emotionally, you know, kind of midway through development. And then we went, uh, you know, as soon as that was sort of under control, we went right back into the like brass tacks, like how do we make it less frustrating? How do we tune these controls? Because mm. a lot of those things are also related. Like, you know, players in a play test will tell you how they're feeling and they'll give you very detailed explanations that are totally wrong. Like they'll say, <laughs> you know, this is a stupid story. It doesn't make any sense. You know, like this thing is too hard. And it's like, well, it's not really too hard. It's just that you got really frustrated at this part earlier. And so then like you were like in a rush and you didn't notice this thing. And so you got yourself lost and you, know, you kind of have to unpack that. And again, it goes back to that idea of like falling down the rabbit hole. It's weird how much of the ultimate kind of feeling of a game comes down to these tiny little details and the things that break, you know, the connection with the game. And, you know, so getting a true emotional read is really hard until you get things like the music, for example, in it. Mm. Like I think in Gregory's story in particular, you know, it wasn't until we got, you know, Waltz of the Flowers in there and had this kind of, you know, like a, like a Bugs Bunny-esque, you know, feel to it suddenly that that story really started to gel. Everything about this game again you know it one of my favorite or actually my favorite game of last year was oxen free mm -hmm. um you know not because it had incredible mechanics um although i thought the mechanics were really good uh it was a, it was all about the story and it was all about how uh, immersed you became and how emotionally connected you became with um uh, with all of the all of the different characters and everything and you know and and their story um, the great thing about what remains of Edith Finch is that you immediately, like, once you get the first story down and you kind of understand exactly what's what's happening here, um, you do get connected 
uh, you guys did a, a, a fantastic job of becoming connected to all of the different family members and you knew exactly what was going to happen to them. And I think you did do a great job of, you know, once I knew that the character was going to die, it, it, it freed me, it liberated me from, from that headspace of what's going to happen to this character. Right, right. Um, and I just was able to just become engrossed with in, in the story. Um, was the entire story kind of part of the framework in, in terms of Edith's story? Was that what was developed first and then oh, you good went Lord, back? No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, very much at the end. I mean, okay. we had an idea. And I think, you know, early on we had the the – a uh, very basic frame story of Edith coming back to the house, you know, right. like going through all these bedrooms. But in terms of like what Edith's emotional state was going to be, uh, you know, we tried some stuff and we were just wrong. You know, it wasn't until we had all of these stories kind of working and we knew what the order was going to be and we had a sense of like what the house is going to feel like that right. we really had a sense of what we wanted Edith to be talking about uh, because you know Edith was a really hard one. She doesn't interact with anybody. Mm, you know, right, she right. herself in some ways has the most boring story, right? She just like comes back and then she experiences a bunch of these stories and, and then she's kind of done. Uh, so it was really hard. All the other stories are so tactile, you know, they're really about what it feels like to be in this space. And, you know, for Edith, she's just kind of walking through an empty house. So, it's a lot about her, you know, emotional journey through that. And what we ended up doing was basically saying, well, what does it feel like as a player to be here? Like, what are, how are players feeling? And then kind of write Edith to be that voice and mm -hmm. to hopefully echo, you know, what it feels like to be in these spaces so that when players hear it, it's not coming out of left field. Because I think it would be very easy for Edith to just be on her own kind of parallel track and just be sort of yammering, you know, like it's so easy for that voice in your ear in whatever game to just feel like, you know, unnecessary. So, you know, we couldn't really write much of Edith's story until we had enough of the game where we could get honest feedback from players to find out like, what have we actually made? Cause like we had an idea of what we were trying to make, mm. but it's not until you can really see people, you know, embrace it that you get that feedback and it's hard for people to embrace something when it looks shitty and when the sound effects aren't in <laughs> and right. you know, it's just like, it's a very different thing. So right. that was, you know, coming down to the wire. Like we were still rewriting Edith, uh, you know, until weeks before everything got locked. So I guess, I guess one of the, the things that I thought about once I, you know, credits are rolling and you see all the, the wonderful pictures of folks and stuff like that. And, um, the first thing I thought of was like, wow, I wonder what the studio felt like when this was being, you know, crafted, when this, <laughs> was, when this was being made. And it made me then think about, you know, you talk about uh, the your, your comedy writing and, and, and being in that world for a bit. There is there is some quote unquote comic relief in the in, in, in the game, which which to me as a as a as a horror fan, I won't spoil it, but me as a horror fan, <laughs> yes, made yes. me so happy. Oh, thanks. Uh, yes. It made me so happy because I was like, I really want this to be a full game <laughs> of just of just these. Like if they could bring yeah. that back as a game, I would buy that in an instant. That was awesome. But what that was really it like was awesome. to. Yeah, it was so good. It was so well done. It, what was the 
kind of mood in in the studio you know was this section being able to work on this particular section kind of the 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 solemn breaker you know <laughs> uh, in in the studio did that like kind of help lift spirits and stuff like that or or you know, were people kind of listening to Alanis Morissette and, and to, <laughs> <laughs> watching, just sitting there with their hands, looking at the rain uh, and watching stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think that story in particular was a real heartbreaker. Like, it didn't work for a long, long, long time. Mm. Um, and actually, we had uh, a writer, uh, Tom Bissell, who was working on this project for about a year or so. Like, he and I would, you know, trade scripts back and forth. And, um, you know, that story just didn't really have a solid ending and it, mm-hmm. it was just kind of too full of different ideas it was like her birthday party and it was a surprise birthday and there were you know just a lot of stuff that was in there and so like the writer uh you know we talked about it and he sat down with one of our designers and they worked on a draft and they basically like rewrote everything uh and it was an improvement but you know i looked at it and i was like oh you know this like cuz that that was the point where we decided that um everybody should be a little bit more archetypal like all the family members oh, okay. so instead of her just being you know like a girl who's having a surprise party we're like let's make her a child star mm. you know let's give her like kind of an outsized personality because i think at right. that point we realized we were going to have about 13 family members it's really hard in you know a short game to get to know all of these family members making them a little bit more archetypal which you know initially felt like it was kind of a cheesy easy way out uh you know i think was the way to go so that you could go into their bedrooms and in you know 15 seconds or whatever five seconds you get a sense of who this person is and then we can kind of pay that off or maybe you know add some surprises to it but it's not like you're starting from zero Mm. uh so like they turned in a draft and then it's like, well, this is a pretty good draft, but I think there's some some big problems here. So then I like totally rewrote that draft again. And <laughs> you know, just to give you like, you know, some context for it, like before the draft got rewritten, there was nothing about her screaming. She just like oh. that was like, you know, all of that got added where I was like, oh, we need a reason why she's screaming. So then it's like, okay, her whole character is about like she's a girl with the famous scream, so you're expecting her to scream at the end to kind of like pay that off. Um, so yeah, and like, it was so traumatic that the writer quit like the next day and wow, <laughs> and we're still on good terms. Like I just saw him at right. the rap party and, you know, ultimately, you know, he, he was happy with the way things turned out and he emailed me like very nicely to say like, okay, I understand what you're going for. I think, you know, things ended up in a really good place, but at the time it was just like, wow, like we improved this thing so much but then somebody else has like improved it again or like just like made huge, huge changes, like rewriting maybe 50 to 75% of all the lines in that story, like again. And that's just kind of what it took, I think, on this game was just a lot of serious, like to the bone cutting and keeping what you liked and then revising it. But, you know, things, things didn't go right the first time, usually. Uh, but we always... <laughs> Again, that story had a really good, you know, place to fall back to. Like looking at Tales from the Crypt, there was something that we could identify that was like, okay, we wa- this is what we want to hit. You know, something mm. like that, something that we really love. So it's okay to make a whole bunch of revisions because you know that you're kind of still, you can see the mountain. You know, right, like you right, may be in the right. forest right now, but there's a pretty big landmark. So, so one thing that surprised me about this game, because it's not something that I typically look for, 
in these style of experiential games is like the how beautifully rendered the game was. Mm-hmm. So like just the straight visuals, like the lighting, the the um, assets and the textures. This is like a very beautiful game. Oh, thank you. And, and I feel like this genre of games, the uh, quote unquote walking simulators. Um, tended to get derided a bit for focusing <laughs> just on the experience and not as much on the visuals and the immersion from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Was it a goal of like you guys to like say, hey, we have to make sure that graphically that that like we're still very impressive on that side <laughs> and not just the story? Or like is that kind of something that just came up just because of the way that um, that like Giant Sparrow does things? <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's something that from a design standpoint, you know, we had some goals that we wanted to achieve. And, you know, I think everything else sort of flowed from that. Like we wanted initially every story to have its own kind of unique feel uh, aesthetically, like in the same way that the gameplay is different in every story, we wanted the visuals to kind of evoke who that person was. And, you know, we wanted the house to feel very lived in, like that was important. So, you know, we spent a lot of time um, with like the set decoration part of the house of like figuring out all the things that were going to go in each of the bedrooms, you know, and, and they're all very meticulously designed in terms of the actual, like the art style, that was something that evolved pretty organically. Like, I don't think that, um, like one of the things that's very strange about this game is that we didn't have an art director. Like normally the art style would be set by one person. And, you know, we had an art director for the first, like, six to nine months and then we fired him and then we never found a replacement so we just kind of like bumbled our way through we had like a really talented concept artist and then we ended up doing something that i'm still surprised about uh we hired a lead artist from the call of duty team nice yeah it was like not a, a a choice that you'd be like oh that's where we should look for our artist, you know, like that right. would have this aesthetic kinship. Uh, where but, are the zombies, man? You yeah. need more zombies. Right. So this guy had been like <laughs> making, you know, uh, whatever, like, uh, you know, terrain and like mashed up concrete and had right. spent, you know, the last couple of years really deep in the AAA salt mines, uh, you know, making Call <laughs> of Duty stuff. Yep. But, you know, he had a really strong, uh, Brandon Martinowitz, our lead artist, had a really strong interest in lighting. And really understood the 3D graphics pipeline at like a very fundamental level. And I think one of the things that's most amazing to me about Edith Finch is just like the amount of stuff and the level of quality that all that stuff is at, which yeah. is, you know, in large part because Brandon is a real hard ass. Like he's just very good <laughs> at making lists and getting shit done. Yeah. And, you know, just like marching through. And I think it helps on an art team to have that kind of mindset when you're building something that's so ambitious. Uh, and then he himself was like, you know, super interested in, in lighting. So the game, you know, became in some ways like a lot more realistic than I had expected it would become, Mm -hmm. but he was super passionate about it. And I think the house ends up having this really interesting, you know, very realistic feel in a lot of ways. Like the lighting feels pretty real, uh, which is a nice contrast, I think, with the more stylized uh, visuals of the stories. It it feels like, in weird ways, like some diorama of like, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm going into this one thing and I'm I'm specifically looking around to poke at, you know, what I think should be a thing that I should be looking at, plus then what the game is telling me I definitely should be looking at. (laughs) It's it's one of those interesting kinds of uh, plays on 
you know, foreground, background, you know, you putting yourself in different spaces. It made me almost want it to be in VR for a little bit yeah. <laughs> where, where I was like, that would have been, that would have been a really cool, a really cool thing to have as well. Um, I guess my last question for you uh, before C jumps in is, do you have a favorite uh, Finch Finch character? Do you have a favorite person in that story that you feel like you either super resonated with or you <laughs> felt like got, uh, you know, we, we talk, I talk about it in horror all the time, got an honorable death. Uh, <laughs> uh, do, do you feel like there was somebody that you really felt super close to? And that story uh, that you feel was was one that stood out a little bit more than than the others. Uh, I mean, I guess I feel you know a lot of sympathy with Molly because I've lived with her for so long. Yeah, like okay. that was the first story we started working on, and we just kept polishing it because we were showing it at E3 and then we were showing it at PSX. Uh, you know, and I I really you know, my heart goes out to this little girl. Uh, but I also like, I don't know. Yeah. I really like the kind of amorality of childhood, mm. the way that little children can be such horrible monsters, <laughs> but not really monsters. They're just like not civilized, you know? And that's just like the different orientation that we have. Uh, you know, and I definitely sometimes feel like a bit of an outsider myself in that regard, uh, around all of these civilized people. So, um, yeah, I would say Molly. Nice. Wow. What, what about you? So, uh, Oh yeah, what about you, Ka? Uh, it was, On the spot. It was probably Jeffrey. Jeffrey or Lewis? Give me Lewis. Lewis. Oh, the baby? No. Oh, oh no, 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 Greg. That was Greg. Gregory. 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 Sorry, Gregory. 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 Yes. I. Yes. I, I love yeah. the way that that scene <laughs> played itself out. Like I, I think that the way that everything kind of came together. Because honestly, when you talked about that earlier in the, uh, you know, during the conversation, I can understand when when a Sony rep is like, ooh. I don't know. And it, and it felt like, you know, even when I finished it, I was like, oh, wow, I, they pulled that off. I didn't know that they were going to go there. And you pulled it off in a way that was so subtle. You know what I mean? It was, it was something that you didn't feel like it was heavy handed or it mm-hmm. felt like it was something that was trying to, you know, you know, play in a, uh, an agenda role or, or, or add any, add anything to it that didn't necessarily need to be there. It was so subtle and so kind of mellow in the way that it happened. It was the way that that kind of death would happen in real life. You know, it was like, you know, kid in the tub or whatever. It's like, oh man, that, that kid is gone now. And now <laughs> what are you going to do? Like, how do you deal and, and deal with the emotions that go along with that? And it's super, it, it just hit me really hard. And I was like, wow, that's interesting that you guys pulled that off and that you went there. I feel like that was a, uh, an accomplishment in and of itself, that that was really hard to do. And you guys did it really, really well. Yeah, I think that's something that, you know, we probably would not have set out to do in the beginning of this project. But, you know, because by then we'd identified this kind of, you know, joyful march to your inevitable doom as being kind of what this game was, was about in some ways. Uh, you know, that story felt like, the kind of farthest we could go in that vein. So, you know, we were really interested in, in seeing if we could pull it off. Yeah. Yeah. I, w- I was, I was definitely about Lewis. Um, yeah. I, I just, you know, everybody can identify, I think with doing things that are monotonous <laughs> and like, sort of like, you know, sort of going off in your mind, but the way that that was taken and the way that it really took over, like, again just really beautifully rendered like yeah. and then you know just just the way that it ended it was both beautiful it was like beautifully sad yeah mm-hmm. right. 
yeah, beautiful track. Um, yeah. And like that's definitely the one where I literally like I you, you, you know like I played it on PC and I literally like stepped away from my keyboard for a little bit. Wow. And like because yeah. I was like, wow, like it it was yeah that one really hit me a lot. Um, and I'll definitely. Yeah, I mean, I know we're not doing spoilers, so I'm not doing <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that 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 one really hit me a lot. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'll I'll say that uh, they, you know, they all resonated with me in their own special way. I'll, I'll add a a little a little something as as the only uh, parent on the show. <laughs> um, uh, as when you're a first time parent, there is this game, this sadistic game that every parent plays. <laughs> Um, that is, um, when you watch and you, or you hear about something tragic happening to a child, you, um, through empathy, think about what that would be like for your own child. Hmm. And then you go through the imaginary pain. Um, it's almost like you're inoculating yourself hmm. Hmm. to, um, child loss when you're, when you're a, you know, a new parent. Once you you know once you get a, a, a few years in the game, uh, for those of you who don't know, my my so my my oldest son is twenty seven. My youngest son is twenty. Um, you you know you get a few years into the game, you stop playing that game. Right, you, you may be fantasizing play. about. Right, right, you start. Yeah. Right, it, it becomes a right. It becomes a revenge. Start race. hanging babies off of, <laughs> off of balconies like you're Michael Jackson. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. This is blanket. You're ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. So, <laughs> so, um, so I, I, I have two questions. Yeah. Um, the the first is. Well, all right. They're both very serious questions, and I'm gonna. The second one is kind of spoilery, but I'm gonna make it non-spoilery. All right. The first question, very serious question. What the fuck is up with the Finch House? What type of noxious fumes <laughs> that are odorless is permeate permeating through that place to make that game? <laughs> um, and and the second question is, does anybody? Because I, I know we won't ever find out, but does anybody know what's up with that house? Well, I think there are a lot of questions that we ourselves don't actually know the answers to, like as developers. Okay. Uh, you know, I think the attitude that we have is that these things are stories. Sure. And, you know, we never get to know what really happened, which is kind of analogous to the way in real life. Like there are so many things that you just like will never know. Um, and not only are you hearing these stories of how these family members died, but you're, you're not even getting the stories firsthand, right? Like you're hearing Edith's version of what she remembers about these stories. So, you know, I think we initially had ideas about the, um, you know, kind of the backstory of all this and what happened and where the Finches came from. But the more I look at the game, the more I feel like, actually, that's not the game that we ended up making. Like, <laughs> mm. You know, when we started this game, there was going to be, you know, like actual magic in Edith's world. And she was going to be casting spells, you know, by like combining letters and stuff. And like, that's totally not this game. Huh, this right. is, game is something else. So like any backstory that I know about is no longer really relevant. Um, so it's like we've become victims of our own story. Like, yeah. it's like when you 
when you tell somebody about uh, an event you experienced firsthand and you tell that story enough, you don't remember the event. Like you, every time you tell that story, you're like rewriting that memory. You know, like that's how the brain works. You're, mm-hmm. you can't take that memory out without doing some damage to the way it's stored. And that's kind of what's happened to us in the last four and a half years of working on this thing that, you know, we have something that we ourselves, you know, don't, don't totally understand. But I think it makes sense given that this game is really all about the way that stories, you know, kind of, uh, you know, we don't get to see the truth. We just get to, you know, kind of experience versions of that, even the stories that we tell ourselves. And you know what? I think, honestly, that is a perfect way to end this <laughs> half of our show. And thank you and everyone back at Giant Sparrow for making one of the best experiences that I've had. I This definitely goes in my pantheon of dopeness. That I, of, oh, of, thank you for welcoming us to of, your pantheon of dopeness. I, you know, we try. You're, you're yeah. up there with, you know, Good Times and <laughs> the one episode of What's Happening where they stole the Bee Gees music. <laughs> and, and tales from the crypt and all that good stuff. That was a dope pantheon. Yeah, I'm so, yes. and you and you have, yeah. you have taken your place there with with uh, what remains of Edith Spinach, <laughs> and it's and it's great because again, the the stuff that you have put together and the story that you have made here, I feel resonates with so many different people and gives so many voices to folks who are both you know uh, attracted by the macabre like myself. <laughs> In some weird ways, the folks who are looking for catharsis in, in a lot of ways, you've hit so many different emotions in this one uh, piece of art that it, it really needs to be played. Folks need to go out and cop it and buy it and share it and buy multiple copies and do that so that <laughs> other folks can enjoy this experience, too. Um, is there anyone that you want to give some shout out and some love to before we let you go? Uh, well, I mean, I want to thank uh, uh, Sony, you know, for initially, uh, you know, being the publisher for this game and Annapurna for, you know, becoming the publisher later on. And, uh, you know, both of those groups were super enthusiastic about the game and about us taking some really, uh, you know, kind of scary chances. I think when you're mm. when you're putting all the money up for something that has the potential to go so very wrong, uh, you know, it's nice that they really stood by us and were so supportive throughout. So thanks uh, to all our friends at Sony and uh, and all our our friends at Annapurna. Absolutely, absolutely, and obviously the whole team. You know, everybody who helped <laughs> in this game, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Um, I, so I, I will, I will say this much, um, you know, there's always a lot of scuttlebutt about the games or games as art and, uh, you know, all, all of that jazz. Um, again, you know, one of the reasons that Oxenfree was my personal game of the year last year, and actually I think it, it won the Cheddar Bay Biscuit Award as the game of the year for Spawn on Me, I think. It did. Um, but, uh, it, but I think part of the reason that that happened is because not only when, when you discuss the game after you were done, you weren't just discussing, uh, the graphics or technical aspects of it or something like that. It was, it was about how that game resonated with you personally and, um, what you guys have been able to accomplish in a game that, you know, people can finish in, in less time than it takes to watch a movie uh in in certain in certain regards 
is is simply amazing because it is one of those games. It's a game like Inside where you mm. finish the game and you want to spend as much time as you spent playing it discussing how it resonated with you and discussing what things meant. Yeah, it's a very interesting metric of, of games where you want to spend more time talking about them than you spend playing them. Yep. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I did not find that with Oblivion, for example. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but there are Although games so I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. No. Yeah. yeah, Bulletstorm didn't do that for me either. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Any any parting parting thoughts, Reef? No, just like thank you for this experience. Like I, I just want I love gaming because you know you just have these entries that come in and just take things on a whole different level. Um, you know I think that like you've really you know kind of stakes your claim you know with you know and uh, really shown that you know that you can make death you know a viable thing um, <laughs> that that like you can think about and. And like actually brings other emotions that aren't just like frustration, you know, or just pure sadness. Like uh, you kind of bring the nuance of death and family um, and really show it on, on, on a great level. And you make a game that is, you know, all that in a short length, which is great for like busy folks like <laughs> us. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's just great. So, like, just like thank you for just adding to adding to this culture that we love, you know, with a really wonderful entry. Yeah, it's amazing how open people have been, uh, like players, just in the last couple of years. You know, it felt like a few years ago, you know, games were so sort of cloistered in their genres. Mm, and, right. you know, I think a big right. part of why we're seeing so many different games now is that players, you know, have said like, yeah, I'm interested in this. I'll play stuff that I've never seen before. And yeah, it makes me really encouraged, you know, to see what's what's coming up next. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody in Chicago, we're about to take a quick break. We're going to do some news, talk about some stuff that we've been playing after the break. Again, Ian, thank you so much for rocking with us. And everybody at home, we will see you back after this. Hey there, listeners. I'm Ryan Miller. And I'm Matt Amberg. And we do the Zero Hit Points podcast every Wednesday. Every Wednesday. So if you got a need... A need. <laughs> for video games... For video games. Take a trip over to ZeroHitPoints.com. That's a lot to ask. We'll see you there. Okay. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 162 of the Spoiling Me podcast. Again, thank you so much to Ian Dallas for rocking with us in the first half of the show and talking all about Edith Finch. Again, cop that joint, cop that joint, cop that joint, and tell all your friends about it, and then cop some more of that joint. That sounded like a total Portland weed ad, but it's not. <laughs> uh, we're going to get into a little bit of news. Uh, Reef has the story that we're going to be talking about this week. Uh, hey, everybody. Up. It was something about YouTubers not being able to make any money off of Call of Duty. What's that about? Yeah. So um, we know after the craziness of, um, of PewDiePie and all this kind of crazy stuff that YouTube re- redid their uh, advertiser-friendly content guidelines. Um, and a few of their guidelines say um, content that, that, that is considered not advertiser-friendly includes violence, including display of serious injury and events that related to violent ex- extremism. And it says controversial or sensitive subjects and events, including subjects related to war, political conflicts, natural disasters, and tragedies. So what a lot of YouTubers are noticing is that because Call of Duty 2, I'm sorry, because Call of Duty 
colon world war two um because that deals with the actual war that they're finding that all the videos that they're making about call of duty that they're actually getting the ad stripped from them huh you know and like a lot of these uh people including prestige is a key which is a he's like a huge call 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 of duty youtuber that has about a million people that subscribe to him he basically published a, a video saying like yo i've been making call, call of duty videos for seven years and i've been able to live off of it and now i can't you know um because uh it's not like they're taking the videos down they're just not allowing the ads to actually run on them and and what youtube is like basically saying is yo make more advertiser friendly content if you want to continue t- to make money off of it you know so like uh, they're kind of setting a bar like uh, like hey we kind of let it get a little crazy for the last couple of years and and we kind of got burned when you know the john trons and the pewdiepies and all this stuff just say crazy stuff on videos that make them money um so they're really trying to put their foot in the sand and and like say even if you have been a very popular streamer, you know, we're going to, um, you know, actually, you know, have some standards behind what we're going to put our ads on. So like you can still make your videos that we're not going to take them down, but you can only make money off of things that our advertisers actually, um, agree with. Um, you know, so like a bunch of YouTubers are like very, very upset at this. Um, there's a counter argument that like basically says like, you know, if you're, if you're, um, depending on another company like uh, like uh, like uh, YouTube to to for uh, financial support, then you need to follow their their rules, even if those rules change. If not, you need to you know create your own platform and do it that way. Um, so, what do you guys th- th- think think about this? Do you think that the YouTubers have a case? Um, do you think that like uh, that like uh, that like uh, YouTube kind of went over the line by? Um, by like changing the rules for like streamers that have been a part of this for like year for for like years and years or like uh, do you think that like you know if uh the youtubers don't like it they should just bounce and just do their own thing so uh see what do you think well i think that the youtubers have every right to be upset no of course i don't um <laughs> you know, look is if it's YouTube is a, is a service that you use and YouTube owns the service. And in fact, you know, Google slash YouTube, they care more about the advertisers than they do the content providers. And they're well within their right to do so because the content providers aren't paying the money. The, the advertisers are. And Google's going to make their money one way or another. Um, so as the content uh, makers, you've got to figure out something else. If they're saying, you know, like if your bread and butter is making Call of Duty videos and and uh, receiving ad revenue from those Call of Duty videos, you can't come and go to YouTube anymore. Because they're not putting ads on them anymore. So, like, you know, I mean, you really don't have a choice. If you still, like, if you're dependent upon that income, then you have to find another way to to generate that income. So maybe you make a video saying, hey, look, guys, 
I know you like watching my videos on YouTube, but now you need to go to Twitch or now you need to go someplace else. Mm. And if you can carry those, you know, potentially millions of views, um, even if it's thousands of views that are watching you live and then, you know, uh, uh, you know, tens and hundreds of thousands of views that are watching your replays, Twitch is going to see that they're going to allow you. They're going to give you the type of access that you need in order for you to continue your revenue stream. Yeah. So instead of complaining about the fact that YouTube's not doing it, you complain once. Say, hey, hey, look, hey, teacher, you forgot to give me the paper so I could do the homework. Mm-hmm. And a teacher's like, eh, F you. Then, you know, you cheat off of somebody else or you steal it from Somebody else. I don't know where this analogy is going anymore. But um, <laughs> and then when you go down the store and you eat string right, cheese right. in the middle of the street, but, right? But 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 Mercury you know, is in the point is, right? But the point is, if if you know if I own the shop, I can set the prices. And if you don't want to, you know, if you, you don't want to pay the prices, then go to somebody else's shop. Yeah, it makes me think of my favorite Bob Marley song, No YouTube, No Cry. <laughs> no YouTube, No Cry. You waited. You waited. Bob you, Marley was a prophet. That's right, yo, right, he, exactly. yo, he saw everything. <laughs> he saw everything. You waited through my terrible analogy to make that joke. Hell, <laughs> yes, I did. And it landed with all the might. All the power. Um, it was like the mighty queen came back on small numbers. Um, <laughs> it was so. I don't. It's weird. I don't know if I feel sympathy again. Like I definitely am on the side with C, where I'm just like, and we know a shit ton of content creators. We're content creators in our own right, right? Like, I don't know if I feel like you can be on the side saying, "Hey, person who gives me the platform to make money." You are telling me I can't make money on your platform anymore because you set the rules and you changed the rules. And now I'm upset that you changed the rules and now I can't make my money. It's so weird. Like, I get it. But it also feels really privileged and kind of, I'm not going to say bratty or snobby, but it's like, it feels like a privileged position in some way to be like, hey, I have taken this thing that I do and you have done all the work on building the infrastructure, the technology, the, the, you know, now that I work at a company that does some of this kind of stuff, like it's really hard to do video encoding and to do set up the infrastructure to make a YouTube happen. And yes, I'm super (laughs) grateful. You sound like a grandpa. And yes, to make a YouTube happen. (laughs) And yes, I appreciate the fact that these folks have taken their new talents that they have found in doing something that they love and talking about a thing that they love and have built a community around themselves, which is also very hard, but I don't feel like you get to then dictate or you get to be mad at the people who are like this video, these videos, you are no longer able to make the amount of money that you used to make when there are all these other things that you could do. You see that happen on Twitch all the time where people are like, I don't want to play uh, said game because if I go variety, then I'll lose the people who were, you know, subbing to me because they don't want to see me do variety stuff. And I'm like, right. well, that's kind of the landscape, homies and homets. Mm-hmm. 
It's like you can't you can't oh, be ma- you can't be mad about that. Like the game is always going to shift. You have to shift with it. So yeah, and like this isn't just video games. Like radio stations change formats. Yeah, T- TV stations change uh, formats. You know, like this is the evolution of media. And while I do fault YouTube for not having some standards earlier on, like they've kind of been the wild west for too long, and now they're trying to say, hold up, like we need to actually establish it so while i wish youtube did make this move a lot earlier since they've always dealt with advertisers and brands and especially since uh, google bought them right you know like uh they they've they've always had that relationship but now it's like yeah i mean i'm like if you're a youtuber you gotta change with the times or 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 if you think your brand is that important you should be able to take it somewhere else mm-hmm. you know and be able to you know to like build yourself a, another business, even if it looks a little different. Um, you know, this is like a true test of your brand. Like your brand shouldn't be defined by YouTube. Yeah. Like your brand should be defined by you and like what you bring. And, you know, so yeah, I mean, I, I just, uh, I think that you should be able to either change what you do or go, or go somewhere else. And honestly, I don't think these guys, I don't think they would have to change that much. No. Like, just don't make your videos like Call of Duty, World War Two, Kill Everyone preview, murder, murder, death, homicide. You know, like, like, I mean, we like, played that already in Battlefield Hardline. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I, I mean, if you creatively title your videos and you create it and you very creatively show different scenes like you could still make it work and i think you know what i'm saying and i think just to add on that like i think it then makes you a better content creator right where it's like you then get to make something that is even more unique than what you usually see which are the top five things that i've done in this game and the other you know kind of formulaic ways that both twitch and youtube work you know what i mean like have you ever looked at the thumbnails on youtube it's always that one dude with a with his face really wide in, a, in, a, in an expression <laughs> that no one would make in their real fucking life. It's really annoying. And it's like on the same side with Twitch where it's like whenever you get a sub or you get a new follow, here's my little totem that I have. And let me put that in front of the camera and welcome you to my fake community of stuff. And I'm like, yo, it's real community. It, it is real community. Format. That's that's salty. But it's it's. Right. It's it's that weird formulaic thing that we see happening in a lot of content creator spaces, which I would like to see people move away from and, you know, do things that are maybe a little bit different um, so that the space changes and that all the, all the other people who maybe didn't want to get into the pool won't feel intimidated by having to do things that are out of their range and out of their scope and out of their pocket. So, well, I, I think I think that. Uh you know, it's amazing how things kind of come around because, you know, we spent the first half of the show talking about what remains of Edith Finch. And one of the things that really made that game resonate was the way that it kind of evolved a genre if if the walking simulator, and I hate, you know, I really don't like that term. Yeah. Um, but it is, you know, it is kind of the, the immediate catch-all for those. But it but it did, whatever, whatever genre you want to put or genres, that you want to put what remains of Edith Finch in, you can. We, I think, we can all agree that it's it's um, evolved uh, the conversation about games. It, it is it is that type of it is that type of game and is that type of experience. And I think that um, with regards to the way people 
um, make gaming content, you know, the way gamers make gaming content for other gamers or for other consumers will also have to evolve as the, um, the as the services that they use to display that content evolves and learns and and uh, changes to continue their own revenue streams. Mm-hmm. You have to do the same. Yeah. Yeah. And we've seen it. We've seen it happen where people have diversified, right? It's like people right. do multiple streams on multiple yep. platforms right. and, and Patreon and GoFundMe and mm-hmm. all that stuff. So, you know, the, the YouTuber game is different, but it needs to be different to kind of catch itself up and keep relevant. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's a great point. Like, I think a lot of people forget that YouTube is kind of the old person on the block yeah. when it comes to streaming media. Like they were right. the first and that, well, not the first, but like they were the most popular for a while, right. and, you know, with, and still uh, are, really. with, with uh, millennials, but now there's a lot. It's a lot more people doing, sure. you know, all kinds of different kind of video sharing kind of services. I mean, I still don't understand Snapchat. You know, yeah. right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> I just can't. I just don't get it. I've tried it like at least three times. I've made a great effort yeah. trying to understand Snapchat, and I, it just does that work. Yeah. So, so, um, yeah. I mean, you know, this is just a case where I feel like you know, um, make yourself better. You know what I'm saying? And if you, I can't, and, and, and if you think your brand is like that dope, then move it along with something else. Agreed. Agreed. Um, moving along to something else. Uh, we move We move a move little bit on your left. On your Sorry. left. Okay. <laughs> nah, that's why I guess in my head. Thank you. Um, moving on to something else. Uh, we are still in the, in the throes of the best first half of video games ever to be ever, ever, the ever did. Uh, so many things to play. We have been all playing a whole bunch of different things. See, not as much. He's been playing Bourbon, Bourbon, the real life game. Yeah, word. Um, Bourbon, the home game. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, bourbon the, time. Burger, yeah. Bourbon time. Oh shit, that would be so good. Um, oh god, how many people in our? Well, we have old, we have older older skewing audience, so that they would know bur- Bourbon time in Bourbon. Right. Bourbon time. Um. <laughs> Again, you should be playing right now, probably as we are having this conversation, because it is out today is Prey. Uh, right. Last week, uh, we got a chance to check out the, the you know our demo that they put out. Um, I got a chance to play it. I know, Reef, did you get a chance to play it? Uh, I did not get a chance to play the demo, but I've I kind of seen enough, and I'm like, I'm down for it. So I have the game pre-ordered, and it's coming soon. So Nice. And C, did you get a chance to check it out? I have not played it i have downloaded it mm-hmm. i'm ready to go okay i'm ready to go well i got a chance to go through the beginning hour of it and i have to say like i remember when we when c and i sat in the bethesda uh showcase last year at right. e3 and everyone lost their shit because prey got announced and everybody was like right. oh man this is going to be real nuts how are we going to be able to check this out and what's this going to be because dude was looking in the mirror and his eyes started bleeding and fucking shit started to go all crazy and you 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 know throw the game on the game looks again gorgeous the folks at bethesda have figured out a way to make another game look really pretty um and you go through this really interesting scenario an interesting kind of beginning where they show you uh and, and introduce you to not only the world which is um kind of stark and 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 again dystopian and you know futuristic and a lot of those things which are some of the tropes that we're already used to 
But the thing that I took away from the demo and what really got me excited for the game was the actual enemies. So you didn't know what they were going to be, not really in the uh, uh, the teaser trailers and things they put out before, but when they introduced these new characters and these new villains and new enemies, they're called mimics, right? So they can be literally anything. It is like playing Dark Souls and getting a damn mimic box that tries to kill you, but everything in the game is a mimic box to a certain extent. <laughs> and to be honest, I wasn't really... Um, it didn't feel scary until those enemies got introduced. And then I started to look at everything and then everything made me paranoid. And then everything made me want to look at that stuff. and was like, all right, how do I interact with this game in a way that lets me know, like, you know how you can get tells from games, like right. something will shimmer or something will shake or something like that. And you're like, all right, that thing is the thing that's going to kill me or hurt me. I literally don't know what's going to hurt me now. And that's interesting. And that's really cool as a, as a concept. The the thing I don't like is that when you actually when the things change from whatever they are, at least in the first the first hour, when they change from whatever they are to being the kind of um, you know they live, you can see what they look like. Uh, right. Part of it, it's too quick. Like it's an instant thing of like that thing was around a corner where it doesn't turn into something that is then suspenseful. It turns into a jump scare and that part doesn't make it as cool. And then the enemy itself isn't that cool looking, at least the lower level ones that, that, that are at least I saw in the beginning of the game. So I'm on the fence about it. I'm, I, I want it hmm. and I want to check it out. Right. But the gunplay didn't feel that great, at least from what I played. The weaponry didn't really feel like it was going to do that much of an of, of, of a evolution throughout the game, although you can craft uh, some new weaponry kind of looking at the skill tree didn't look that really interesting yet. Um, so I'm a little bit worried that it's going to be a game that's going to have a lot of hype to it feels really good, but also then kind of gets to this level of mediocre fairly quickly. So I'm worried about that, but I also mm. definitely am still intrigued by the, the plot and, and kind of where the evolution of the monsters go. Okay. I, I have one question about the mimics. Yeah. Um, are, are they, mutated insects that live in the subway that dress up in, as a humans and <laughs> right. they look like humans with, with uh, trench coats on. They all right. look like Natasha Henstridge. Yeah. <laughs> which I would totally Mimic. be fine with. Because Mimic is one of the greatest bad movies ever made. So bad. And I recently found out don't ask me why I was looking for these, but they made like four or five mimics. Oh yeah, like, a whole bunch yes. of mimics. Oh yeah, oh yeah, they made a whole. Bunch I only of them. remembered the first one, uh, but they were like, "Yo, mad mimic show." <laughs> that was a uh, shout out to Guillermo del Toro, man. Did he do? Did he do mimics? Yeah, yeah, he did mimics. Interesting. He did the first one. Interesting, interesting. Shout out to Natasha yeah. Hensley yeah, too. I love you. Um, but it's but it's 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 an interesting game. I, I want to see where it, where it lands in kind of the the spectrum because what I what it really made me want to be honest was a new Dead Space. That's a mm. that's the game I want. Like a lot of these kind did of it, hmm? did it really remind you of Dead Space as more than Bioshock? Well, it feels it it gives the vibe of space Bioshock Infinite a little bit sure okay kind of in small ways too just like uh gun placement on screen like how large things are in comparison to your body in comparison to the foreground 
of where you're moving throughout the space feels that way. Like everything has a kind of shimmer to it and 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 sheen to it that gives mm-hmm. that kind of like everything is kind of um, uh, uh, brass, made of brass or made of you know uh, uh, copper or something. Like, and that felt like that old timey version of you know uh, of Bioshock Infinite and, and the Bioshock games, but it didn't feel just yet like combat was going to be that dynamic where you're going to have multiple ways to kill things. It felt like either you punch a thing, you hit a thing or you shoot a thing and not in a way that feels like it's going to be, you know, Rube Goldberg kind of, you get to do things and make things happen in a way that you want to. There's, does seem like there's a lot of, uh, again, you know, dynamic, dynamic gameplay in there, at least from what I played in the first hour. But, I'm hoping to get a chance to play it. Um, I'm hoping that um, we'll get a chance to check it out. We didn't. We did not get copies from Bethesda, unfortunately. Uh, but we will definitely be checking it out because Reef is going to be playing it because he pre-ordered it, and hopefully, see yeah. you'll get his chance to play it too. So mm-hmm. uh, that is a game that I got a chance to check out. Oh, now I got one more question for you. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, based on your first hour, is it something that you feel like you're going to want to play right away, or do you think you're on? You're okay with waiting and hearing what people that you trust have to say about it. This is this is one of those. I'm glad you said that. This is not one of those games that feels like I'm worried about spoilers. Okay. You know what I mean? Like there, there mm-hmm. are games that you feel like, like Mass Effect, Mass Effect even though I'm, I, Mass Effect has like hit the way back burner currently, um, I'm still not as worried about when I get to that game as the same way as I'm not feeling like I'm worried about getting to Prey just yet. Like right. stuff that I've been playing, again, I've been heavy on Paragon. Paragon, as much as I should be playing other things, I come back right. to Paragon as my palate, right. as my palate cleanser every night basically right. at this point. Uh, nice. Near Automata is so yeah. good. It is so good. It, yeah, I really want to play that. It is so fucking awesome. They do so many cool things in that game that I think is. It feels like people in the gaming industry and people who I, I trust have been talking about it, but it also feels like the greater community has not figured out that this is dope yet. Right. Which is such right. an interesting kind of concept and such a really weird thing to happen but again it's like the glut of games that we see coming out right now how do you how do you find time there's so right. little time to play all this cool stuff um i know Re- i know reef you had a couple of other things that you were checking out too right yeah yeah man so um you, you know obviously i've been rocking a switch taking it taking it on my business trips that, that i take every day to go to my clients and stuff um so mario kart 8 is the latest big uh release on the switch oh yeah um, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, I should say. Um, right. So it's basically, so it's the Wii U version of Mario Kart plus all the DLC. Um, so it has about 48 tracks on it, which is by far the most ever in a Mario Kart game about like just a, a overwhelming amount of characters you could choose from, like maybe like 40 or some different people all with their own stats. And you can like mix mix and match, you know, car parts and all that stuff to build the right combination of speed, acceleration and drift and like all that kind of stuff. Um, and you know, it's, it was a great game on the Wii U and it's even better in person because it still, it still feels weird to play this, like, you know, really nice looking 60 frames a second racing game, like at a Starbucks, like, like, (laughs) like it just feels mad weird. 
Um, and it definitely always reminds me, like I've definitely said before that I, I tend to think of the switch as a, the most powerful handheld ever made that can also be hooked up to a TV as opposed to the other way around, like a console that like you can t take on the go. And, and, and you really get reminded of that when, when you're playing the larger games like Zelda and Mario Kart, you know, um, on the go. So it's a ton of fun. Um, even though Nintendo hasn't rolled out their fully, you know, online stuff yet with voice chat and like all that stuff. Um, I played in a bunch of like, uh, of tournaments already from, from, uh, Nia loves Ninty on uh, Twitter, like the video gamer. She has like Mario Kart tournaments on like Monday and like, and like you can like set all your options and like, you know, like, uh, you can set, I want these items, blah, 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 blah. And like, and like invite like, uh, friends and like all that stuff. But you know, but there's still no, voice chat or like any of that stuff in there yet. So um, hopefully when that rolls around sometime in the fall um, that like uh, that can add to that. But um, I'm having a blast with the game. It's, you know, it's as good as it was two years ago. Um, it's like reviewed quite well, actually. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, if you like, if you like Maricar games, I think this is like definitely the best one that they've ever made. Um so coming from the fact that, you know, that like you have, you know, Zelda, a really great open world game and you have this a really great racing game and you have like, you know, all these different indies. Like I think there's about maybe 30 or 40 different indies available for the system now. Like, yeah, I've 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 spent most of my time playing the switch while being out on business. And, and then when I get home, I might spend, you know, like kind of kind of like two or three hours playing, you know, a game on my PC or my PS4, but really digging Mario Kart 8 and, you know, it's just really adding to, you know, I, I, I think again around the holiday season when uh, people, you know, really start to pick up the, uh, the uh, system, they're going to have a lot of great games to choose from to um, add, add to their uh, list when they're uh, thinking of like what to pick up with the uh, Switch. So, so yeah, it's 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 like a really dope and like I think Mario Kart even though Zelda sold a lot of units, I think people that bought Zelda were were already going to buy a Switch. So I so, so I don't know if I would call Zelda like it moved units, but I think Mario Kart 8 has moved units. Like people have bought Switches because they've heard a lot about Zelda and now they're hearing about Mario Kart and like they're like, "All right. All right, now's a good time to like uh jump in." Yeah. You know, um so yeah, been been like a lot of carton, man, which means a lot of cursing uh, <laughs> and, and a lot of uh, calling people all kind of names under God. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I, I watched I watched Greg Miller over kind of funny have this like this like tournament. It was uh, like best of three and he was winning. And right at the end, it was like the last it was like the, the, the tiebreaker. And right at the end of the race literally like inches away from the finish line he got hit with three red shells one green shell and still won the race <laughs> and wow. still beat the other other dude and it was like i i haven't been one of those folks who's like oh mario kart is gonna be yeah, blah, 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 blah. like i, I kind of have been done with mario kart for a little bit but that made me want mario kart again so thank you greg miller for making me want freaking Mario Kart in the goddamn Switch. Damn it. Yeah, it's it's still one of the best local games. And the fact that, you know, I actually 
was kind of a Nintendo commercial because I was playing in the coffee shop and this dude was like, yo, like, like I want to try. So I handed him a Joy-Con. We played some two-player battle. Aww. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, it was very dope. You know? Right. Yeah, don't that, don't ask don't ask me for no goddamn touch yeah, my switch. Right. Don't ask yeah, me, don't ask me for Joy Con. I'd be like, no, my brother, you gotta get your own. I'll give you I'll yeah, give yeah. you some Purell first and back you the hell up off me. And, 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 and he was he he was he was like a total uh, bro too. So it was great. Oh, I'm curious oh, to awesome. see. I'm curious to see now that the switches are kind of been out in the wild now for a bit. How that's going to be at E3. Like if we're gonna see oh, a whole bunch of people playing at, switches at E3, playing yeah. against yeah. each other and stuff like that, that'll be well. Cool. That I mean, that would be the console that I would bring, right? Yeah. Like if you were, I mean, if you if you're at any con, you you kind of know that the de facto thing outside of PSX, the de facto handheld um, or or item that you see besides cell phones or 3ds's, um, being able to have a switch with you. And if you're if you're gonna go to a gaming convention, you're like, oh man, you know, I still want to stay in contact with with gaming. Uh, the Switch is obviously the easiest thing to bring. I can't right? front. It, yeah, I'll... I mean, because it you know it fits in a suitcase easily. It's just the whole thing with the HDMI cable. So all you need is a TV, um, and and a power source, and you're good to go. I so. would not mind seeing somebody bring a ColecoVision to to the E3. <laughs> okay, right, and a CRT TV. I would th- on your back. That would yes. be really dope. Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh man. <laughs> other the other game that I, I got <laughs> word the other game I got a chance to play this week and streamed a little bit of it was Outlast Two. Uh, shout out to the folks from Red Barrels uh, for hooking us up with a copy of that. Oh my God! If anybody <laughs> understands how much I love horror games, you know that getting a copy of that a little bit early as well was like you know Caliph Horror Christmas, and getting a good chance to play it on stream because I wanted to go in blind. I, I had it about a week early, and didn't play it at all. Like I played maybe two minutes of it to like the beginning of the credits. And then was like, no, I want to stream this because I want to be able to react with other people being being able to see me while I play this. And Reef was in the chat hanging out. And it was so good. Like that game does so many cool things with atmosphere and with with uh, with gore and just making everything feel like around any corner you're going to just die. It was so cool. Like I, 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 st- I haven't played it again since the stream. I intend to, and I intend to stream it some more. But I, w- I went to bed shook, <laughs> and that's uh, that's usually not the case. I'm yeah. usually I've seen horror since I was like four, and this stuff is on that level where you're just like, oh shit, that's not cool. That's not cool. That's not nope. That's not cool. I, it was like anti-blackness in a video game. But not because of racism, because I ain't supposed to be in that goddamn spot. <laughs> it's like no one should be here. No one is supposed to be here. No one is supposed to be in this damn place. And it, <laughs> and it, it was very very cool though. It's a very cool game. So I want to continue to play that, and and hopefully everyone will will join in streams and watch it. So, so uh, yeah, Outlast too. If you want to pee your pants, uh, make sure you go ahead and do that. Uh, yeah. I have been playing. Not really anything new. I, obviously, I played, uh, uh, you know, um, What Remains of Eden Finch. Um, but I've also been playing another E-game, and that is Elite Dangerous, 
Um, this is a game that I had I had said in my review. We talked about it, you know, almost two years ago. Um, that it, you know, it it will it may never be my game of the year, but it is a game that I'll be playing a year or so from now. And 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 sure enough, I'm still playing the game. Um, part of that, part of the reason that I'm I'm back to the game is that they just dropped a new uh, a new update. It's the multi crew update. So now you can finally. Um, not only can you take your crew or you can take your commander, your your personal avatar um, and bring it to another person's ship and operate their guns or fly their ship or fly their fighter in the fighter bay. Um, but you also now have a personal avatar where you can design their suit. You design the faces. They're very, very intricate. Um, there are lots of different faces. Uh, if you guys have heard me talk about uh, Elite Dangerous and are interested in playing, you're on the Xbox One or uh, PC, um, now is the time to do so. The game is better than it's ever been. Uh, for those of you who are who only have PS4s and haven't been able to play it yet, your time is coming soon and it will be here with all the updates. You can also name your ships. So I've been naming my ships, um, and uh, that's pretty dope as well. So I want to hear some names. Right. Oh. Oh. Okay. So uh, is there a USSS Caesar? There is not. There is no uh, USS uh, US Caesar. Uh, there's no uh, Bruce Wayne of Chicago yet. Um, but there are different types of ships. I have a ship called the Diamondback Explorer. It's probably my favorite ship. And I named her Dora D. Explorer because oh uh, <laughs> she's a Diamondback Explorer and I'm a dummy. The only thing so, I can think to say to that is, I feel sorry for your mother. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel sorry for her, too. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I've, I've got uh, I've got a couple of uh, really great names. Um I think there's a ship. There's a ship called the Cobra um, that I either named Cobra Commander or whatever his actual name was. Um, so you know, they're just really, really dumb names. But that's the that's the joy of it all is is being able to go around space and running into a commander and being able to read the name of his ship of their ship as you're passing. That is pretty ship. cool. Um, and then you, now you have these passenger missions. So uh, I've be, I've taken up uh, space Ubering. So I've been Ubering people to random locations in the galaxy and they pay me millions of credits for doing so. So um, is there is a new revenue stream in the game. I really uh, if you are uh, halfway interested in space. And are interested in simulations um, in that way. I can't. I can't recommend Elite Dangerous enough. Um, I really love what Frontier does, and they really support the community, and the community itself supports each other. So it's a great, great game. Work. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to talk a little bit about Andromeda. Oh. Um, so I finished Mass Effect Andromeda. Um, overall, um, very happy with the story. Um, as I said before on the previous shows, it took way too long to ramp up though. Um, but I will say that one big problem I have with this game 
is that almost all of the enjoyment I have from the story came from doing all of the relationship and loyalty missions because really? I did them all. Wow. Um, because uh, and it's the, possible to, to just you could just do all the sweet banging with, uh, with <laughs> any of the characters that you want. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, I did my banging, um, but I did. I did end up in an in a exclusive relationship with someone I didn't expect to. So wow. it kind of stopped my banging. Uh, you got locked up. So I had, exactly. Up. So so like so like I had to stop getting all the HR like violations on the uh, Tempest from hitting on all my employees. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so the main main storyline, like the main story. It's not really that good. Um, it's not bad, but this like if you just mainline this story and didn't do the other stuff, it's an average game. And I know a lot of people say, "Well, you know, like uh, you play Mass Effect for the relationship, so why w- would you do that?" And I'm like, "This is like a big budget game that's supposed to appeal to like mainstream consumers." that might not have a relationship with the previous trilogy or right. like might not know what they're getting into. And a lot of people, they just want to play the main story. So that has to be tight. And the rest of it has to be like dressing on the top, you know, but I, but I feel like it was the other way where almost the main story was dressing on the top of the side missions and, and the uh, loyalty missions. So um, I think I think that it's really enjoyable if you do it all, if you do all the side stuff. But I almost wish that either they bake that stuff into the main game because it really adds the texture that's lacking um, in in the main game, or they just make it a more less open world and more linear experience. Mm. I feel like this game really by going open world and really trying to open things up and make them really wide, they kind of lose track of what you know made games especially mass effect 2 like really hard-hitting and special yeah um so yeah i mean it's it's like you know i i would say if you don't have the time to really put into all all the stuff and it took me you know a long time to play this game probably like 70 or 80 hours oh my gosh um i wouldn't i would wait a little bit because if, if you're just doing you know, like the 20 hours of a uh, main story, I think you'll be disappointed. Wow. wow. Now, where do you, where do you rank it uh, within the confines of this franchise? Oh, um, I'd rank it last to be honest. Okay. Yeah. I'd rank it last. I mean, I, mean, I something's really gotta be right. I, I, I know a lot of people crap on mass effect one, wow. but I played it on the PC after they fixed a lot of the inventory right. issues right. and like some of the other kind of glitches that I know was on the Xbox one. So I thought Mass Effect One was great. Yeah, it was fantastic. Anybody who's, um, who says otherwise is bugging. You know, like and, it's not and it's I, not great compared to ME two when it comes to mechanics, but story and everything else is great. Yeah, yeah, and 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 um, you know, and Mass Effect One had like my favorite music of the entire series. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would, I'll, I'll rank it last. Doesn't mean it's a bad game. It's far from a bad game. It's, it's a good game, but the expectations for Bioware and Mass Effect are much higher than a good game. Right. Yeah. So, 
Oh, man. Yeah. So, you know, let us know also, you know, out there in Chicago, like if you finished Mass Effect, if you're still playing Mass Effect, if you're playing any of the games that we mentioned in this episode and especially. Yeah. Playing any other game. Yeah, playing any other game. Especially if you played Edith Finch, too. I definitely want to hear your thoughts about that and, and, and get that into the conversation. But, yeah, we are up out of here for episode 162. We have a lot more <laughs> a lot more things to talk about uh, in the upcoming weeks about folks that are going to be on the show and also conversations that we want to have. Um, and we will definitely be involving you all within those things. But before we get up out of here, C has to hit us all with the social media business. Do so, C. Uh, I will do so. The social media business is as follows. If you want to follow us on Twitter, go to at Spawn on Me. Uh, if you want to follow us individually, you can read our bio, our uh, usernames are in there, whatever those things are called. Uh, there is <laughs> my there. god <laughs> um uss yeah. bourbon right right <laughs> the uh the website is spawn on dot me or esn dot fm slash spawn on me the email address is spawn on me podcast at gmail.com if you want to listen to the show uh you want to listen to past episodes you can go to spawn on spawn on dot me or you can go to esn.fm but if you want to listen to them on your mobile device you can also go to itunes or <laughs> npr1 or uh whatever your favorite podcatcher is overcast fm whatever it is if it is a place where you can uh subscribe make sure you do so if it's a place where you can rate and review do that too make sure that stuff happens it really really helps us out uh, seriously so um, you know do that and uh, you know tell your friends tell your homeboys uh, tell all your Edith Finches before they die um, <laughs> to, to come to spawn on me word word again everybody in Chicago thank you for listening to us this and every week we definitely appreciate it thank you for all the love that we've been getting on iTunes uh, we'll be reading some of those reviews in some upcoming shows again E3 is right around the corner so expect top notch coverage from us as usual uh, if there are folks you want us to reach out to let us know on social media and we will do so and again we will say peace peace, peace.